Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thanks for listening. A slightly different Deal of the Week this week because we're not really going to talk about one deal. Instead, we're previewing what could be a small wave of deals in the TV broadcast industry. Joining us to explain why are Jerry Smith, Bloomberg media reporter, and Todd Shields, our Federal Communications Commission reporter, joining us from Washington. Hi, guys. Howdy. Hey. So, Todd, let's start with you. The FCC is thinking about rolling back regulation at its April 20th meeting that could jumpstart deals in this TV broadcast industry. Explain what exactly they're thinking about doing. Well, in a nutshell, they want to change an accounting procedure and uh, make it appear that some TV stations have a smaller audience reach than they currently do. Uh, That gives you more room under a national cap to buy more stations. And, and, and when we're talking about national cap here, what are we talking about? What What is this cap? Yeah, th- this is a level uh, set back in, gosh, probably 2003 by Congress. And it says that you can only amass uh, the a number of TV stations that would reach 39, 39, 39% of U.S. television households. Uh, the idea there is one embedded in media regulation here in Washington, which is you don't want one or two major, major companies to dominate the national conversation. Uh, thus, the 39% cap. And this is all about counting out stations and how do you figure out who's close to or over that cap. All right, so good. So, Jerry, let's take a step back here and just help people understand what the TV broadcast industry is here, because I'm not sure that everyone really even knows that local TV stations are owned by other separate companies, in many cases, than the content that they actually broadcast. In other words, it's not like NBC owns every NBC local TV station. That's right. I mean, you've got your four major broadcasters, NBC, ABC, Fox, CBS, and they own the broadcast stations in some of the big markets. But if you get into smaller markets, those broadcast channels are actually owned by entirely separate companies, companies like Sinclair Broadcasting, Tribune Media, Gray Television, Next Star, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. So they actually, um, you know, they have business relationships with the big broadcasters, but they run as separate companies. And Todd, why did the industry develop this way? In other words, why doesn't NBC own every NBC station? Back in the day when newspaper, when TV stations were being established, the entrepreneurs around the country took it upon themselves to build local TV stations, and they could strike or not strike affiliation deals. So you'd strike, uh, you know, the guy in, in Madison, Wisconsin might find a different affiliation deal than his neighbor in Madison or somebody in, uh, you know, someplace in Iowa. So it just grew up organically from communities. It's a community-based system, unlike a national-based system that you may see in other countries, other places like Europe. And this was in the day when broadcast stations were, were actually broadcasting their signal. And actually, this, this sort of old school technology of using airwaves um, and then, you know, you or I getting our TV on an antenna in our house, because that's how you used to get the broadcast stations, actually plays into sort of what this new rolling back regulation is all about, right, Todd? Because it has to do with the old UHF signal, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. The accounting, the, the, the figuring out how close you are, how much of the national audience you serve, and therefore whether there's still room to buy more stations to serve more audience and still remain under that cap we mentioned, all that figuring has its root in the old technology. Uh, one way to think of it is this. Uh, well, in the old days, we had UHF and VHF stations. We don't need to get into the distinction there, except to say UHF stations didn't send the signal as far. So if you had an antenna in the center of town A, let's say town A serves 10% of the national 
national audience, your UHF station would only reach half those people. So you'd only be credited for 5% with a UHF station. Now, that technological distinction disappeared when the U.S. switched to digital broadcasting. We switched the technological way the signals are sent back in 2009. So last year, the FCC said, we're no longer going to count the UHF stations as just serving half of their their households in their area. We're going to count them all since the technological weaknesses, in essence, disappeared Makes when we switched to digital. So now this Republican FCC, that the Democrats did that, this Republican FCC is going to say, no, we're going to reinstate that discount. And furthermore, we're going to examine the national cap also going forward. So it's a whole new look at this uh, this uh, mixed up sort of legacy regulation. So I don't, I don't get it, Todd, because you, you just explained something that really makes sense to me. The, the, the technological difference doesn't exist anymore. There theoretically is no difference between UHF and VHF. From my memory, UHF was basically like over 13 on your old dial. That's right. Yeah. So, so what is the logic in reinstating this thing that doesn't exist anymore? It's interesting. Uh, one of the Republican commissioners dissented last year from the Democrats' decision. Remember, at the time, it was a three-to-two Democratic edge at the FCC. Now it's two-to-one Republican following the election. So one of those two Republicans objected, saying, Congress set the cap, and we can't change it. We don't have the power to mess around with it. Therefore, I dissent. And the other uh, uh, objected, saying, it's ridiculous to mess around with the UHF discount, as it's called, without also changing the cap. And by the way, for legal reasons, we do have room to play with the cap, despite what Congress did a dozen years ago. So there was a difference, if you will, on legalities uh, that they raised. Uh, At the same time, we have to remember that raising, eliminating, I'm sorry, eliminating the UHF discount hurts some companies by pushing them up to or over the cap. If you were serving, say, 25% of the national audience with the UHF discount, without the discount, you might be up to 40% or more, and therefore you can't play the TV station buying game anymore. So it had a real impact on businesses. And I don't think that the Republicans were, were ignorant of that. I think they were cognizant of the impact it had on companies that are trying to get bigger. All right, so Jerry, why do companies in the TV broadcast industry want to get bigger? Because um, you know the TV business is going through a lot of change right now. Uh, but one of the things that you know broadcasters have found very lucrative is what's called retransmission consent fees, and these are essentially um, fees that they get per subscriber uh, from you know Comcast or AT and T or big pay TV companies, and this has been. You know, despite the fact that you know people are cutting the cord and ratings are declining, uh, these fees have become uh, an increasingly lucrative part of the broadcast business. So, in theory, if you own more broadcast stations around the country, you can make more money that way. So, it's I think it's worth just briefly explaining how this works for people, just to because it's sort of a there's fees going in multiple directions here, and I think it, to get a good understanding of the industry um, and how it works, it's sort of a a, a big Uh, global view is helpful. So what Jerry just talked about is the pay TV providers pay the the content creators, um, which are either the NBC, CBS, ABC, Foxes of the world, or the the broadcasters of that content, which is Sinclair, Tribune. These are the owners of the local stations themselves. These guys, the that world of of, of content companies, or I'm going to call Tribune and Sinclair a content company for this, even though they're not really, they don't actually create the content. They're a broadcast company, but just for for the sake of this discussion, let's call them the the creator of content, even though they're not. And I'll and I'll explain that in a second. 
the the pay TV providers are paying these guys money for the right to carry the programming. And sometimes you will see blackouts, uh, like Charlie Ergen's Dish Network is is known for uh, playing hardball with these companies, and they will say, uh, we think that we are paying you too much for your content, Hearst or Tribune or Sinclair or whatever uh, broadcaster company that owns all of these local stations are, because we feel like you know our ratings show that fewer people are watching Fox local programming or even national programming than used to. So we don't want to pay you as much. So as a negotiating tactic, we're going to black you guys out. And so a lot of times this stuff gets in the news and suddenly you can't get your Fox station at home and you're like, why is this happening? And it's because of retransmission fees. The the Hearsts or Sinclairs or Tribune or sometimes the Fox the, you know, themselves, if it's a big market, has said, we want a 40% increase on content fees. And then Dish or DirecTV or Comcast, whatever, says, we don't want to pay that. And then there's a blackout and there's a negotiation and... 99.999% of the time, the thing gets resolved, and eventually you can see your football again or whatever it may be. Now, that's one side of the picture. The other side of the picture has to do with the, the companies that are actually making the content, meaning Fox, NBC, ABC, CBS, and the owners of these local stations. So that's Tribune, Sinclair, Tegna, Raycom, Gray TV, Nextar, there's a handful of other ones that are still out there. Those guys will negotiate separate deals with the content providers. They'll split the pie on how much money they take from the pay TV providers and how much money the actual originators of that content takes. So Sinclair owns a bunch of Fox local affiliates. Fox provides the programming for those affiliates. So Fox and Sinclair have their own negotiation about how they're going to split the revenue that comes from the pay TV providers. So Fox says, look, I want 30%, you know, and you guys take 70% or whatever it may be. So there's simultaneous negotiations happening at the same time. I explain all of this because something unusual is going to happen, I think, after maybe this may or may not happen, but it's possible that something unusual will happen after this UHF discount is rolled back. And by the way, I'll turn this back to Todd. Todd, do we think that the UHF discount is going to be rolled back? Yeah, I would think so. It's on the agenda for the April 20th meeting of the FCC, and the chairman has control of the agenda. He can count to two. He needs two out of three votes. So he's got him, or else he wouldn't stick it on the agenda to suffer a defeat. Okay, so the most logical deal, and this has already been reported, uh, Reuters, I'll give them some credit, broke the story, and we have subsequently followed up, and, and, and it, it sounds like it's fairly likely that Tribune and Sinclair have already started talks to potentially merge. If Sinclair and Tribune merge, that combined company is going to own a lot of Fox affiliate stations. And Fox, apparently, from our own reporting, is concerned that this new company may own so many Fox affiliates that come time for that next negotiation between Fox and the new Sinclair Tribune company, if that in fact happens, Fox is going to lose negotiation leverage on that deal. Uh, and therefore, Fox is thinking... Is there a way that I can somehow break up this deal? Maybe I can bid myself, or maybe I can figure out some private equity firm to team up with uh, and potentially bid. We don't know if that's going to happen. It does sound like Sinclair Tribune is the most likely thing to happen. 
Um, but I, 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 that is sort of an unusual tweak to these broadcast deals where the actual content provider gets involved and says, I don't know about this. And I'm wondering, Jerry, do we expect to uh, – it wouldn't surprise me if this theme uh, becomes more present uh, as these TV broadcasters are now allowed to get bigger. Well, yeah, I mean, the TV business is is about getting bigger right now. I mean, if you have scale, as they call it, I mean, if you the more subscribers you have access to, the more negotiating leverage you have with, you know, either a pay TV provider like Comcast or like you're describing these negotiations between, um, you know, the big broadcasters like NBC and CBS and these affiliates. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's I think every media company right now is looking at. The, the the atmosphere in DC, which is all about deregulation right now, and a business that's facing a lot of challenges, and the obvious solution is get bigger. The more subscribers you have, the more leverage you have. Uh, you can negotiate higher fees for your channels. Um, I mean, this broadcast, these broadcast stations, like you said earlier, I mean, they have something that a lot of cable channels don't have, which is um, live sports. So they can charge these higher and higher rates because when these deals come up with a pay TV provider like Comcast, there's suddenly this deal comes up right around the same time as like the Final Four or the Super Bowl. And I think the content providers, these broadcast stations, have a lot of leverage in those negotiations because people will go nuts if their you know, cable sub- provider doesn't have the game that they want to watch. So this is a really it's a good business to be in in, a, in an overall environment that's facing a lot of challenges right now because, you know, whether it's the, the Tegnas or Sinclairs or, or CBS Fox, I mean, they have very high profile live sports and, and so they can continue to charge higher rates. And this is sort of one of the few growth industry, growth areas of the TV industry that's left. Now, how does this work with um, like over the top TV? So if I'm going to get direct TV now, as a new AT&T subscriber, and I'm going to get all my TV wirelessly. Does AT&T have to negotiate even still with the local broadcast channels in order to get the local programming for that? For that package, yeah, I mean that's actually what you're seeing now. If if you're a subscriber to Sling TV or Direct TV Now or any of these these so-called skinny bundles, which are you know online TV services with twenty or thirty channels for thirty bucks, they in a lot of cities you don't have the local broadcast channel. Those negotiations between um, the online TV service and the local broadcasters happen separately and and so there's actually been a lot of tension between these um you know the big broadcast networks like cbs and and fox and some of these local affiliates um you know i think at at the end of the day it comes down to that pie that they're splitting up and who gets what uh my understanding is that online tv doesn't offer the same sort of retrans fees as like a, a cable provider would be so it's a little bit more complicated but yeah i know it's a big frustration for someone like sling tv or anyone i mean i know apple when they try to get into the tv business they sort of threw their hands up in the air because they realized that you know the big cbs and nbc's couldn't actually give them all these local affiliates they had to negotiate all these separate deals with people in small towns separately it's such a key point i think for people to understand how the tv industry works i alluded to those blackouts before and i'm sure people are very familiar with this where suddenly they can't watch NFL football, and they likely blame CBS. Why can't I get football? You know, CBS, uh, strike a deal with my pay TV provider. 
But in many cases, it is not CBS that actually controls CBS programming. It's these handful of local broadcast companies that are in the negotiation. Uh, it's sort of this quirk of the industry where it's like, well, no, they cut a separate deal where actually Hearst controls the CBS rights to football in these local markets. Todd, can you give us a, a little bit of perspective on this new FCC chair, Ajit Pai? Like, who is he and, and what does he think about sort of the general telecom landscape and where things are headed? Yeah, I'll do that in a second, but let me back up to the re an interesting regulatory feature that buttresses the power of these local TV companies. If you're uh, AT and T with its uh, uh, service, you know it's online, over the top service, or, or or Sling, you can't just, for instance, strike a deal with the New York CBS affiliate owned and operated by CBS and send it to every market in the country. You've got to send a local signal to the local market, and that's baked in hard in the regulations right now. And the broadcasters will fight unto the end to keep that rule. In fact, they it's took, their whole business model. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. even took Charlie Ergen to court a number of years ago, maybe 15 years ago, to, and, and accused him of sending stations that were not local and, and won some rulings. So uh, so that's what gives the local station so much power. You can't just bring in a different just, CBS just, just Just to jump in there, Todd, to, in other words, what you're saying is um, if you were able to send a non-local signal to local markets – other than giving them non-local news, you could give them everything else that's on that station, right? Exactly, and that you cannot do. So that gives a local station, you know, big power. It's either you know feast or famine. You get your signal or you don't. Not not the one from the neighboring city, state, or county. Okay, so now uh, on Ajit Pai, how does he see this industry? Yeah, but that great point there. On on to Ajit Pai. Yeah, it, interesting guy. Interesting guy. He's been on the Federal Communications Commission since 2012. He is the uh, the first generation son of Indian immigrant doctors. They uh, they moved from India to uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, I think a brief stint in Canada, if I recall his uh, bio correctly. But then he grew up in Parsons, Kansas, of all places, and went on for a fine education, including University of Chicago Law School. Worked in Washington for Verizon and for uh, the Senate as an aide at the Senate. Uh, for a number of years at the Federal Communications Commission as a lawyer. And now here he is as a chairman after, what, 2012 to 2018, six years in the minority. So he has honed his understanding of the law and of what goes on at the FCC. And he's a sharp guy, and he's ready to move. Um, so he, his, general, his general philosophy is don't impose unnecessary regulatory burdens and don't let companies use the system to gain an advantage over another company. He, he's against arbitrage, he says. But so far, uh, a lot of his energies have been concentrated upon removing some of the regulations passed by the Democrats. And the Democrats, of course, had a very activist chairman. Tom Wheeler was the FCC chairman until after the election. So deconstruction of some things uh, Democrats have done has been as important to him so far as moving on other fronts. And we've seen some of that. He eased conditions for Charter, the cable company, uh, that were imposed by Tom Wheeler's FCC. And now he's undoing the UHF discount, too, or is poised to. And so this is probably good news for AT&T Time Warner, which, which Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong, may or may not end up in front of the FCC, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's looking from, you know, just talking to analysts, it looks like they probably won't go before the FCC and that it would just be the Justice Department that would look at whether this deal um, goes through. And, and certainly AT&T would prefer that because the Justice Department just looks really on a, a strictly legal basis, while the FCC looks at more about whether this deal serves the public interest. And, and that's part of why Comcast wasn't able to get its Time Warner cable deal through. Are there... 
other logical combinations in the TV broadcast industry that we should be looking for other than Sinclair and Tribune? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, uh, I mean, CBS uh, CEO Les Moonves has, I think, said openly that he'd be open to um, to buying more stations. And, and certainly CBS has been taking advantage of these retransmission fees and, and making a lot of money off of, of that. So, um, you know, I think CBS might be a buyer. Um, but yeah, I think anybody, um, you know, anybody who's really been at this cap for a long time at 39% and, and is... Um, looking to and you know has the cash to do deals is probably thinking about what they might do next todd other than this uhf rollback is there any other particular condition that the fcc has the ability to 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 either roll back or in state that would further uh increase the likelihood of more deals in the tv broadcast world yeah uh, uh ajit Pai, the chairman has indicated discomfort with the outdated he calls them outdated not everybody uses that term but they certainly have not been updated in recent decades a set of ownership rules there's a broader suite of ownership regulations not just the uhf discount uh for instance there are limits on owning i believe you cannot own uh two of the top four stations in a market but it gets very complicated some of the conditions are for markets with eight or more stations things like that but there's a whole flora and fauna of media ownership regulations that he wants to address, including uh, perhaps the easiest one to talk about is there's there's still a ban ever since the 1970s on owning both a daily newspaper and a broadcast facility in the same town. So newspapers couldn't own the local TV station. That was to avoid the dominant voice problem that media regulation uh, is said to address. Skeptics say uh, there's so many voices now, uh, you know, what, what, why even bother with that rule? So I would look for that rule to, to be voted out by Pi and uh, the other ones to be eased. Plus, no one's reading the newspapers, anyways, right? So you can just throw that out. out yeah, well, we read them online. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah, throw yeah, the so. newspapers a bone. They're they're having a hard time. I hear. No, they're making a big recovery <laughs> now. Well, some are, because I'm, as I'm speaking, I'm watching Donald Trump speak on CNN, MSNBC, Bloomberg, CNBC. I mean, that was something that Rupert Murdoch uh, was looking at a few years ago. Was it was there was interest? Uh, he was interested in buying the LA Times, and he couldn't buy the LA Times because of that rule that Todd just described. Jerry Smith, Bloomberg media reporter, and Todd Shields. Regulatory reporter who covers the FCC out of Washington. I hope that that gives you a little bit of understanding about uh, the TV broadcast industry, which is uh, a sort of a complicated industry, even though it does something that I think you know everyone can sort of intuitively understand, which is puts on programming on your TVs. So uh, thanks for listening. As always, uh, you can catch our podcast on iTunes or on Bloomberg.com or on the Bloomberg Terminal or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Also, please rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps other people uh, find the show and also uh, gives us ideas on how to improve the show. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Jerry, where can people find you on Twitter? At Jerry F. Smith uh, with a G. How about you, Todd? At T Shields 3. See you next week. Mm-hmm.